Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. We got a couple of weeks into the year already and just wanted to say Happy New Year. And we are excited to hit the ground running this year. And today we're going to be joined by the one Lindsay Brian Podvin. And Lindsay and I met on social media. I've been admiring her for a long time. It's been over I doubt, at least a year, I'd say. We're just seeing the work that you've been doing, Lindsay. So I was excited to have you on. I'm glad we were able to finally connect and get you on the show. So Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Emlyn. I'm really happy to be here. And if you wouldn't mind, Lindsay, give the listeners a little background of who you are, a brief introduction of who you are, what you're doing, and let them know a little bit about you. Yeah, of course. I'm a financial therapist, so that means that I'm a clinical social worker, and I have cross-training in financial psychology and in financial literacy. In terms of identity, I'm biracial, I'm Filipina and white, I'm female, use she, her pronouns, married with a dog. And I'm pretty open about my mental health struggles. I think that anytime we can destigmatize things from money to mental health, we're in good place. So that's why I'm really thrilled to be here because I know you talk about not just money, but also our overall wellness. So I think it'll be a good conversation. Absolutely. So as you all can hear, this is exactly why we had Lindsay on because I don't know. I always think about this and I just think about my mind on my money and my money on my mind. <laughs> yes. Like that's, that's what I think about. That's, that's just what comes to my mind. But yes. I think that this is going to be a great conversation just around the fact of the mindset of with your money and then having that balance, like the mind money balance podcast as you have. And then that's what the name of your business is as well. And so just being able to have that connection between what's on your mind and what's it with your money and then balancing those two is always tough, right? Mm-hmm. And people trying to navigate through that. So what I wanted to talk to you about today was like the keys of the successful money journey. And that's something that you talk about a lot. So the first thing I want to just jump right in is how overcoming money shame. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So money shame is just like most forms of shame in that it is insidious and it happens sometimes so quickly that we don't even know it happens. And when I'm talking about money shame, I'm talking about feeling bad about money. The subtle difference, but it is important between guilt and shame is guilt usually sounds like I did something bad, whereas shame sounds like I am bad. And when we think about the way that that looks with money, instead of I made a mistake with money, it becomes I'm bad with money. I don't get money. I'm not good with money. I'm too fill in the blank to understand it. And having those types of beliefs, those shameful beliefs, make it really hard to engage with money in a healthy and helpful way. And what research shows us is that secrecy, silence, and judgment make money shame worse. And if we think about a topic like money that is so taboo, that is so off limits, of course, it makes sense that it's going to be hard for us to say, hey, I need a little bit of backup here. I need to listen to a podcast about money or hire a CPA or CFP 
or I need to maybe get a money coach, right? We feel like it's two things at once. We feel like we should know how to do money and then also feel bad that we don't know how to do money, right? It's like this weird catch 22. So money shame really prevents us from engaging with our money in a healthy way. It's funny because I like to use this analogy when I think about it. So, okay, money is one thing that we didn't, there's not a ton of classes on it when you're going through school. So maybe you get something in college, maybe if you take like a personal finance class and that's going to touch the surface of it. But it's funny to me that how money is something that we are not taught very much about, except for the relationships that we may have with you know our parents or whatnot. However, we hold the most shame about not knowing how to handle our money when we are never taught how to handle our money. And the analogy I like to use is a car. Like we drive a car every day. Like we use our checking account all the time. Like, you know, whether you're driving or not or transportation, but just for the sake of this illustration, we all drive cars. Okay. And we drive a car all the time. If it breaks down, we don't beat ourselves up for not knowing how to fix it. We don't feel shame about it. We don't feel bad about it. We just take it to the person and they fix it. And that's what they do. There's tons of places, whether it's tires, whether it's your brakes or whatever, oil change, what have you. So anything that goes wrong with our cars, we make the distinction and say, okay, we need help and we're going to go see a mechanic. When it comes to our money, we never do that. And so we carry this shame about things we don't understand with our money, about things that pertaining to things that we've never been taught. And so it's, I don't know, maybe I'm just rambling, but that's kind of what I feel about that. No, I'm smiling along with you because what you are talking about, Emlyn, is how research shows us to cope with shame. And some of the best ways to cope with shame are to name it. So in your example saying, oh, I need an oil change. Oh, I have a flat tire, right? Acknowledging what's going on. So when that comes to money, it might be like, oh, I overdrew my account. Oh, I forgot to pay my taxes on time. And then the other piece that helps with shame is finding meaning in what happened and educating yourself to prevent it from happening again, right? So you go to the mechanic and they say, hey, in order to prevent you from like running out of oil and burning up your engine, why don't you set a reminder that when you hit X number of miles, you bring it in. So when it comes to our money, how can we educate ourselves so that we don't get to that, oh, you overdo your account again? So that analogy works perfectly and it works perfectly from a research and psychological perspective too. So no, I think it's great. Nice. So what are some of the things like, let's say, since we're in this analogy and we're talking about the car and all that stuff. So, you know, you get the sticker up there at the top says after you get to this many miles, come change your oil, right? (laughs) You know that if your car is making this noise or if the tire sensor is telling you that the tire is flat, then we need to go put some air in the tire. What are some of the things that we can put in our life to make sure that we can help ourselves overcome the shame of not knowing how to do something? Yeah. So two components are ones that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So naming it, identifying what it is. I, for example, I don't understand how a FICO score works, right? That would be a way to name what's going on and what's preventing you from engaging with your money education slash making meaning of what happened. So gaining some information on financial literacy, or if you feel pretty comfortable with things like a monthly budget, maybe you're ready to start learning about investing or about debt pay down or about purchasing a home. And then the other two things that are important in coping with shame are empathy and compassion. And those kind of go hand in hand. So it's not beating yourself up when you make a mistake and saying, I'm human. This happens. I tried my best. Or in in your illustration, I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. (laughs) So practicing some empathy and compassion. And then finally is social support. And social support is key, especially, I mean, with any shame. But when it comes to money, we need other folks around us who can say, 
hey, I've been there, I've made that mistake. And we need other people in our corner who can give us information on how they coped with different things. Which credit card do you use to get points back? Which person did you use to refinance your loan? Which financial planner have you connected with that helps keep you on track? So those are the four components is naming it or labeling it, education, empathy and compassion, and finding social support. And I think social support piece is probably one of the toughest ones to get, right? Because people just don't want to talk about money. So then who do you talk about money with? Exactly. And that's why I think you and I, how we connected actually makes a lot of sense in the 21st century. Most people feel too uncomfortable to ask their friend, hey, have you negotiated for a raise lately? Or like, hey, what interest rate are you getting on your checking or your high yield savings account? But we feel more comfortable turning online, maybe typing in a couple of key search terms or hashtags or finding a Facebook group or an Instagram page that speaks to us and kind of cultivating a community online who has shared values and interests. You know, the internet gets a really bad rap, but I think if you use it in a way that supports your learning and education, and specifically with this, helps you to find your money community, you can be in really good shape. You might, if you look at your inner circle and you're like, I don't know if these folks are going to talk money with me. You can turn to the internet and there's people who talk money about how to retire early, how to live off of beans and rice, how to own a thousand different properties, right? There are many different ways that you can engage with your money. And online, you can find your little pockets of communities of people. And with you, like you've got this entire platform dedicated to people of color who are saying, hey, I want to talk about money. We want to change the complexion of wealth. Who else out here looks like me, sounds like me, walks like me, talks like me, who can help me through this? Absolutely. Community is so big. And I think that there's tons of communities out there to find good information in. Yeah. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Oh, yes. How do you help people talk? Talk to us about financial anxiety, like, because I think there's so much anxiety around finance, right? Like, we know that there's tons of it. But let me jump in on that. Let's talk about it. Sure. So financial anxiety is anything that makes you feel nervous, worried, or on edge when it comes to your money. And most of us are going, oh, yeah, I felt that before, right? I felt that financial anxiety before my paycheck hits. I felt that financial anxiety before I negotiate a raise. I felt that financial anxiety, you know, my partner and I are refinancing our home right now. I consider myself financially savvy, but I'm still Googling some of the acronyms just to make sure I know what's going on. So of course I've increased in, in experiencing some financial anxiety and in our culture, we're not allowed to feel anything besides happiness. Like we're allowed to feel like any kind of version of happiness, excited, joyful, gleeful. We're allowed to feel those things. When it comes to things that are maybe on the other side of those emotions, things like sadness, worry, feeling on edge, fear, we don't really talk about those things. So then that shame comes back into play. And we're like, oh my gosh, I feel worried that I don't know what this thing means. And now I feel stupid and it creates that spiral. So what I like to think about when I'm helping people with financial anxiety, how can we dial down that anxiety enough so you can engage with your money. A big problem when we're dealing with any uncomfortable emotions is so many of us want to eliminate the uncomfortable emotion before we take forward progress. But the reality is we just want to dial it down enough so that we can engage with it. So let me see if I can give an example. Like let's say you're 10 out of 10 on the anxiety scale. 
you can hardly breathe, your stomach's in knots, your muscles are tense, your mind is going a million miles a minute, and you're looking at these acronyms on your refinance paperwork. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't deal with this. We don't have to wait for that anxiety to get to a zero out of 10. We just have to get it to a level where it's, we are able to function, we're able to tolerate it. So maybe we dial it down to a five or even a six. Maybe we still have butterflies in our stomach. Maybe we're still having a few worried thoughts, but it's not that we're so anxious that we can't persevere or use our coping skills and our resilience to get through it. I like the way you didn't label the anxiety as good or bad. Right. And we have a terrible issue with labeling things as good or bad, you know, because I feel anxiety. Oh, that's bad. Well, no, it's actually not bad that you feel anxiety. That's okay. That's just like a warning system, like saying, Hey, Hey, you need to pay attention to this. (laughs) Hey, you know, like it's our body's way of telling us, okay, this is something that's going to require your attention. This is with no, you know, my major was accounting, so I don't have any study in this, but I'm just, just people, right. Just dealing with people. But I think that when you remove the good or bad, and just say, it's okay if you're sad or happy or a little uneasy about something that's going on financially, but don't label it as a good or bad emotion. It's just something that's happening. And I think that when we can remove the label and just, I think, be mindful of the feeling and then try to get through it, I think that that will help us a great deal instead of labeling. I mean, you didn't label it, so I know you totally get that. But what do you say to people when they are having that, when they are labeling those emotions as good or bad? How do you help someone with that? Yeah, I think the labeling of it, typical therapist fashion, it depends, but it does become problematic to your point when we assume that any feeling that isn't neutral or happy is bad. To your point, experiencing anxiety is a normal part of life. We experience anxiety in all sorts of situations. Think, you know, your first day on the job, you could be really excited about it, but you still feel some anxiety because you're like, oh my gosh, where do I park? What are my colleagues going to be like? You know, all of the different worries come up in your head. So I encourage people just to label the emotion and try to not pass judgment on it. So I'm experiencing anxiety. This is okay. And also just normalizing it. Like it makes sense that I'm feeling a little bit anxious because this is new for me. Yeah. And I think that you're 100% right. Just being okay with it. And I just think about, like, I'm thinking about some of my clients and some of the things, you know, as taxes are coming up there and, you know, they're anxious about that because I think that's always something, you know, we got student loans, like what's going to happen with that now, you know, so people are worried about that. People are worried about just their monthly, like, Lord forbid you say the B word and that's budget, right? Right. I've had to come around and just not use budget anymore. We just call it conscious spending. (laughs) Like I I borrowed that from someone else. Yeah, I like that. Consciously spend on what you like. Yep. And then release the anxiety about things. you If you don't like them, then don't buy them and it won't bring you any anxiety, you know? And, And so just keeping it simple, I think is one of the basic ways that we can get through the anxiety, but just knowing that having anxiety is okay. Yes. Yes, I agree 100%. Okay, so we're on the same page there. Yes, definitely. So understanding these four financial archetypes, can you talk about those? Like, Because yep. I like this idea of four archetypes that you have mentioned. So if you wouldn't mind jumping into those a little bit. Yeah, of course. So a lot of us think that there are two categories of people when it comes to money, savers and spenders. But that <laughs> doesn't leave a ton of room for nuance. So there has been some research done by Dr. Brad Klontz and his brother. 
and they found that there were these four different money scripts these kind of words that people used when they talked about money and different associated spending and saving patterns. And those I think are a really helpful jumping off point, but because their research was really psychology heavy, psychology loves to diagnose and to label Mm -hmm. and put kind of a problematic spin on it. So as a social worker, my training is how can we look at some of the strengths How can we look at some of the silver linings here in addition to some of the challenges a person might have when they experience these different money scripts? And over time, I came up with these four different financial archetypes. And these are kind of like a personality assessment that helps you understand a little bit more about your relationship with money and takes into consideration some of the challenges you might have when it comes to money and take into consideration some of the things that come naturally to you that could be of your benefit. And when we break them down, they are broken down into these four labels. Blissfully ignorant. That's the person who wants to stick their head in the sand. They don't want to know what's going on with money. You know, if I don't know what's happening, it's good. The money admirer. This is the person who tends to associate the idea of having money with a positive increase in their self-worth. So these often tend to be your workaholics. These tend to be folks who are setting like big financial goals, whether it's saving up a certain dollar amount or bringing in a certain dollar amount. You've got your doomsday preppers. These are the people who have a really hard time letting go of money. And what I have seen in my office is that this comes from a protective mechanism. Many of these folks are people of color, are religious minorities or refugees, right? So over time, they've learned Money equals safety. So if I hold on to my money, it's going to keep me safe. But as you could tell, there's also a downside to that, right? It's that catch-22 of I have money, but I'm too scared to spend it. And then finally, we have the free spirit. And this is the person who tends to say things like, oh, you know, what's the point of having money if you don't spend it? Or you can't take it to the grave with you, right? They like enjoying, they like having money to spend it. And it could be on themselves or it could be on others. But in a snapshot, those are the four different financial archetypes. Now, I think this is something that you have on your website, right? So people can take the test to figure out yes, how they can Yes, do they it. can okay. take the quiz and check out which one they are. Because that's like kind of a big deal, right? Because I'm sitting here thinking and I was like, which one am I? Because I know everybody hears it and they're <laughs> like, well, which one am I? So right. if we will definitely put a link to your website into the show, or if you can send us something directly to that, we just put that little link and then people can. Yeah, of course, of course. We'll put that link in the show notes and I will be filling it out myself because I want to see what I am. But I think with that, I know you're working on like, talk to us about some of the stuff that you're doing with your clients in the terms of, I know there was two things that you had. You had one for like clarity for couples, I think it was. And then there was another one for like the shame release party or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So these are kind of one-off standalone things. So I'm a financial therapist, and because there are so few of us, my calendar tends to fill up pretty quickly. And at the same time, I want to serve other folks. So I was trying to think of how can I serve others without burning myself out? So one option is Clarify for Couples. It's a self-paced budgeting course, but I know the B word can be really (laughs) scary, but it's specifically for couples to help kind of demystify this idea and helps them to cultivate a budget using their values. So what's important to us, what is not important to us first, 
And then we kind of associate different spending things with each value and then take them through an exercise of how to actually automate a lot of that saving so that you are, you know, we hear this idea of like pay yourself first, pay yourself first, but nobody really knows what that means. So automating various savings buckets. So at the end of three months, six months, 12 months, whatever it may be, you have filled up these different savings buckets for things like travel, gifts, maybe remodeling a basement, things like that, these different things that you are working on saving. And then the other one is a little out there, but you know, it is what it is. I'm big into astrology, which I know people are like, what? You've got like, you're kind of rooted in research here, but I think we all have different versions of of spirituality and what speaks to us. So symbolically, if you don't, or if you're not into astrology, full moons are all about saying goodbye to the things that are not serving you. So on full moons, I'll host these one-time money shame release parties where I kind of take us through what's going on up in the sky, what kind of themes might be tugging on us right now. And we journal and together release that money shame because as I mentioned earlier, social support and naming it can help with that shame. So we kind of together say like, I'm over thinking I'm bad with money or I'm done beating myself up that I didn't hit my Q4 revenue goals or whatever it may be. That's just incredible that you would do that and tie in some astrology. I like it. Okay. I'm all for it. (laughs) Because I think that we kind of like, I mean, most people have some type of, they know something about astrology. Everybody knows their sign at least, right? Sure, exactly. Exactly. And I think that making it around the same thing with the moon and for the release of it, I think that's awesome. Because I think that like when it's little things like that, that can make a difference in someone's life because you connect something that normally isn't connected with astrology and money and releasing this off into something else. I think that that's actually really, really good to make that connection, right? Because I think it's taking two things that normally aren't connected and connecting them together. And then now what I think about is like habit stacking and being able to connect things together. And I think this is like a great way to be able to connect stuff for people to make it easier for them to be able to have that improved relationship with their money. Yeah, I love that. And if you're into habit stacking, new moons are a great time to set goals and to set intentions. So that's another way that you can habit stack around other things that are happening. So yeah, that's a great, great point. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, I've really enjoyed this conversation. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, and we are changing the complexion of wealth. And I got to ask you these questions because I think that, well, one, everyone gets asked them, but I really want to know these answers. So what motivates, inspires Lindsay to continue to grow, learn, and lead? It's going to sound a little bit strange, but honestly, my own personal self-growth and development motivates me to keep going as a younger person, I had this idea that once you kind of commit to an idea, you're not allowed to change your mind or it makes you a hypocrite. And as I've gotten older, I've really learned that changing your mind when you get new information isn't a symptom of hypocrisy. It actually shows that you have the capacity for growth. So a lot of the work I do is not like, oh, I'm my biggest motivator, but it feels so good to know that self-growth is always available to you and there's always opportunities to grow. Awesome. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Oh, yes and no. (laughs) I think the lack of education is huge. And I think that traditional education does not equip us to learn about the basics of financial literacy. 
I think that it could be incorporated in a much better way in our education system. But I don't think not having gone to college means that you're doomed to be bad with money. So when I'm thinking about the education, you know, not necessarily formalized education, because I don't know if there's like a formalized education that comes out. I mean, maybe if you're studying for the CFP, then there you go, right? You should know everything (laughs) you need to know there. But I think there's just a major disconnect in how education in the traditional sense does not impact or does not contribute to someone's ability to understand how to build wealth. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. If you could offer a piece of advice to our listeners, what would that piece of advice be? When it comes to money, I would say give yourself a lot of compassion and that mistakes are really learning opportunities. I don't believe that anybody is bad with money. I think that we get caught up in our heads that somehow we're bad or wrong at money. And I think that financial literacy and empowerment is available to all of us. Love it. I love it. I don't have anything to add. Like I said before, Lindsay, it's great having you on the show. And I feel like we should, we'll probably do this again. You're the second financial therapist I've had on. And you guys always have just like this great insight in between the real relationship (laughs) between yourself and your money, right? Because it is a relationship Mm -hmm. and it's something that we should always be working on. Yeah, well, I would be happy to come back on one anytime. (laughs) We will definitely get together and figure that out. Thank you again. It was a pleasure to have you on the show and we will definitely be having you back. As everyone knows, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.